0: Hi and welcome to Unapologetic Women, a podcast about current affairs, culture, politics, life and how we got here. Brought to you by Tony and Saoirse. Hey
1: Saoirse.
0: Hello Puppet. Aww.
1: That's a, that's a cosy Sunday afternoon, hello Puppet, end of weekend. Oh yes. Right. Cosy Sunday
0: afternoon.
1: Cosy Sunday. You? What were you saying about my text message, last ice cream of the season? Oh my god,
0: so, yeah. because To bring down the moon yeah. even more. <laughs> Uh, no, because I, well, I thought I was leaving on Thursday, but um, I am going to Ireland and then I'm in England and so this is the end of summer and fucking hell do the grocery stores want to tell you. It's covered in pumpkins, all of the stuff for Halloween is out. I was yeah. like, come on lads, it's August.
1: I also really don't feel like I've had a summer break. This summer's been weird. Mm. Um, that I'm just like, oh, okay. I guess we're gearing up for Halloween. That's weird. It's because after Halloween comes fucking Christmas, and I'm sure shit. Not ready for that. In
0: like four seconds, it's <laughs> gonna be
1: in four seconds. Santa Claus everywhere, which I'm not mad about. Not gonna lie. No, no, I know. it's your favorite. It's your favorite season. <laughs> You're ready for that. We closed out last week. With our episode, talking a little bit, I mean, we we, we started talking a little bit about confirmation yep. bias and this idea of the illusion of the explanat explanat explan explanatory. No, no, I don't explanation explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> it's broken.
0: I do, um uh. If I click my lips one more time, I'm gonna punch the mic. Um the illusion of explanatory depth illusion Mm -hmm. of
1: explanatory depth okay (laughs) i'll start that again um we closed out last week's episode talking about confirmation bias and the illusion of explanatory depth which i've just learned how to say properly um because i was giving you definitely a french twang um but we closed out last week's episode by briefly talking about these two topics that i really wanted to dig in more because i feel like it's so intertwined with all of the conversations that you and i have constantly about who do we listen to who do we trust how do we dig into a topic we keep coming back to Hillary Clinton and she's a perfect example of this idea of confirmation bias and this illusion of explanatory depth and I feel like it's even more relevant today as like a pop culture internet culture topic with the conversation surrounding Andrew Tate as well who's sort of kind of taken over the internet in the last couple of months yep Wheres I think the best place to start or where, what's been swirling around my head Sorsh, is, So the Wharton School of Business Mm -hmm. did this study, which was this idea that personal anecdotes are way more effective at bridging divide and helping people come to a good middle ground, that these personal anecdotes were way more powerful, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna use as a word, than facts. And we briefly brought that up last week um, ever so slightly. But the idea here is that we are more likely to get respect from each other, we're more likely to respect someone else, especially when we talk about our moral compasses or we talk about things like religion, very hot topic, complex topics, when we share personal experiences instead of facts. And you social Mercedes in politics all the fucking time of when you try and tell a story or you try and want to get someone over to your side of Believing is that we gear towards like personal experiences
0: versus facts you have to talk to me more about that why do you have to yeah and all the credit here goes to Marshall Gans um who created the construct of the story of self the story of us and the story of now And, you know, this is probably very much so from the left side of the aisle in terms of, like, holy grail of public speaking. And that's Marshall Gans is from um, Harvard Kennedy. And that's where he did this study uh, that then became a part of Obama's campaign, which then, like, infiltrated into DNC training and... You know, it's not just specifically for Democrats. It can obviously be used by Republicans. I personally have never worked on a Republican campaign, but the whole idea here is that when you're communicating with a voter, whether that's a one-on-one communication or in a large rally or or public um, setting, is that you go through the the framework that is the story of self, the story of us, and the story of now. And I will caveat this with everyone has their own version of story self us and now but the core tenants are your story of self is like your story that is able to be connected back to the candidate that you're working for the issue that you're working on that allows for the voter to connect with your story so that's like the whole premise of the story of self then the um story of us is where you're actually then experiencing that connective tissue. What is the Mm. thing that combines you? So, like, a very, very basic example. If you're going door to door and you see as you walk into that house, there's a bumper sticker of a particular football team or a hockey team. When you get to the door, you say, Hey, my name's Saoirse. I'm here to talk to you today about... Enter in name of candidate. Um, I noticed that you had a Bruin sticker. I actually played ice hockey my whole life and I love ice hockey. I'd love to learn a little bit more about why you have a Bruin sticker. Is someone in your family a Bruin? You know, like you start that from like a very safe place to then get into the story of us, which is that like shared experience, shared values. And then your story of now is a call to action based on that like relationship, that narrative arc that you've just built. And that call to action is going to be extremely variable depending on whether you're one-to-many or one-to-one or you're, like, one-to-few. And so, so, you know, if you're on the door, again, the example there is can we count on your vote, right? As simple as that. That's your now, right? That's your connective. I'm voting on Tuesday. Can we count on yours, right? Like, bring it back to yourself to then reflect the call to action. In a more public environment, it's when you get that rah-rah moment where it's like we're gonna make the change today are you with us right it's that like public declaration and there's a shared experience in the audience and in my entire time in campaigns you fail if you do not have a connective tissue in my work life in my professional life if you don't have a shared experience with someone it, you don't have the relationship that you do with someone whether that's a traumatic experience or a delightful experience like it's just true you don't have that engagement
1: it's like that entry point until we're, we're both actually similar which actually ties really nicely into this this idea of confirmation bias which is purely our mm. tendencies as human beings to embrace information that supports our beliefs and we reject anything that that contradicts that which is so easy to do and we're just like oh my god yeah we played hockey on the same team so we reject everything else but we have that connection and it's interesting mm-hmm. and i don't think this is relevant to what we want to talk about but it is it's even more true online it's even more true today with social media platforms that confirmation so bias and you see it in comment sections the moment you said oh my god i agree with you then people get rallied around whether that whatever you just said is factually accurate or not if you both believe in something then it starts getting really powerful And this is why I thought it was interesting as I was digging into this, of just this, again, this illusion of explanatory depth, which is this idea that our our belief that we understand something way more about the world than we actually do, whether that's something simplistic about like how your toilet works, or that's fundamentally how, you know... I don't know, the healthcare plan works in America or the, the Care Act or something like that. But it's really interesting of this idea that we walk around
0: every day thinking that we understand something way more than we actually do. Well, So when you brought this up last week, all I was thinking about all week was, I do not actually know how aeroplanes fly. Yeah. I don't. I genuinely have no idea how they actually fly.
1: But bring that up.
0: And I've actually done this. And
1: people look at you go, what the fuck do you mean? It's really fucking obvious. And then you go, Okay break it down to me and you realize oh well the air like the air lives mm -hmm. talk to me more about how the air what, what is the air doing in this literally yeah and there's a study I found let me just pull it up there's a study that was conducted at Yale where graduate students very similar to this were asked to rate their understanding of everyday devices toilets zippers airplanes and then they were asked to write a detailed plan step-by-step explanation of how you would explain this to an alien if it came to the world like how do you explain how a zipper works and zippers are very easy when you just put them together and they zip and you're like no no it's actually they have to like come together
0: yeah they connect
1: connect, but how do you explain that to someone who's never who doesn't know what a zipper is or doesn't know what a toilet is and then they ask them to rate their understanding again so it's interesting if you ask normal people like you know rate your understanding of how an airplane works. Oh, eight out of 10. And then you're like, okay, give me a description step by step about how an airplane flies. Most people are just like, nah, fuck it up. I have no idea actually how. And then you go back and you go, well, I guess it's a 3 out of 10. Which is fascinating that we are like, okay, as human beings to just walk around this planet, realizing that most things that surround us, we maybe have a 2 out of 10 understanding of them or a 3 out of 10. Which mm. is insane when you tie it to confirmation bias. And it brought me back to this, the the 6th of January, what happened mm. was it? Yeah, it was the 6th of January, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah? Which is yeah. insane that it was that long ago. When people when you would ask people on the street, they're like, yeah, we were right. And we did. And you're like, but what, what? Talk to me exactly step by step. What was it you were trying to appeal here? What was it mm. that you were against? And people fall flat. And you see this more and more in politics. And so there's this concept that we our dependence on other people's minds and other people's understanding and other people's beliefs actually reinforces the problem. And that's how you end up with something like Trump. Because Mm. our rah, rah, oh my God, confirmation bias, I agree with someone, I reject everything else, we're all in agreement, is so powerful, coupled with that illusion that we actually understand something way more than we do, you get into really fucking dangerous territory. Where actually, and again, it goes back to Hillary of just like she fell into that trap of, no, no, there's no illusion that we understand. I want to help you understand why some, we don't have time, patience for that.
0: No, you're not allowed, especially if you're a woman. And this is, that's it. explain it to someone. It's interesting you bring up Trump because the other thing that I think we have to acknowledge with him, he had an entire team around him that made him appeal. As though he had gone through the same experiences and traumas that the average person who is voting for him experienced, such as deep poverty, inability to pay healthcare bills, inability to feed their children, right? When you look mm-hmm. at the like, actual demographics of the people that vote for Trump, a lot of them are in a lower um, economic like, background. And so he created the confirmation bias he created that and like not I will not give him credit there was a team around him that created this this relatability this like I can see myself in you and that then coupled with this like Hillary was the politician of all politicians and was like so unrelatable because she was a millionaire and it's like so the fuck is this dude who's standing right next to her but you just have this bias in your head that he's an average man he gets the struggle why like why was that why was that the message why was that the thing that people hooked into every
1: time you asked tell me more like how do you get there he would brush that off which rallies the troops even more helps us push something back he's being attacked he's being attacked and that can cause us, which is what the thing that I found the most interesting is, this illusion that we understand something. Because truly, I think you ask most people how politics work, and they will say, absolutely, I understand it. But this illusion that we understand, and realising that we actually ha- don't have that depth of knowledge, but this illusion that we have that depth of knowledge, ends, <sighs> we end up in a situation where we're making really fucking fundamental, important decisions based on mm. teeny tiny knowledge like teeny tiny amounts of knowledge and again the power of that is the confirmation bias is other people going but i agree and so what happens when you have hundreds thousands tens of thousands millions of people with the same teeny tiny amount of knowledge all creating that confirmation bias or rejecting everyone else and you end up with what we are end, we ended mm. up having on like, on the 6th of January, which I've just been thinking about of just like, how fucking fascinating, because, and this is where you and I always end up in these scenarios, is our society has worked so well on this premise of collaboration. And mm. a, someone, not me, someone far, far smarter than me, like po- pointed this all the way back to the dark age, would well, the dark ages, back in the day when we figured out how to hunt and gather, we're just like, okay, you can go and hunt, go and do that. I trust that you know what you're doing. I don't know how to fucking do that. We're gonna gather, we're gonna figure that out. We're gonna do, figure out the he- whatever it is, we sort of divided yeah. and conquered. That we end up in a position that we work so well as a as a collaborative society that we don't know where our knowledge ends and someone else starts so we all think that we have a shared knowledge but we actually fucking don't and so no, it's, we have it,
0: shared experience we had
1: shared experiences but we actually don't have fucking shared knowledge hence why we don't actually know how a toilet works but we don't need to because as a society we've got people who are like don't worry i've got this but when your plumber's here you kind of when someone asks well how did you fix it oh like well we fixed it by doing you didn't fucking do shit which fascinates me because I, I feel like this is how politics is run these days. And the politicians that are very good at helping us think that we have this shared knowledge when we really fucking don't. And I think Trump, that's where I landed the other days. Fuck, Trump made us believe not only do we have shared trauma or shared experiences, but we have shared knowledge, which we really fucking don't.
0: God, I think we can't have this conversation, Tony, without bringing in the thread of Andrew Tate and what the amplified effect of what you described there, right, where you've got millions of people who have that same moment, but then you layer in misinformation and disinformation and the virality that and comes social media. with social media platforms. And someone like him, heinous human being is what I'm going to say, Um, not only does he get the ability or have the opportunity because he has this platform, But he then filtrates into people who are using or spreading his content without being them having that content removed. It's only his like main channels that are being removed, not the individuals who are now parroting is the word I'm going to use. The misinformation that was being spread because now that he's been attacked the same way as Trump. It's like this, our person, our beacon has been attacked. So we must now continue to spread that information out.
1: And again, it's all confirmation bias. It's all Andrew Tate getting on your platform, spewing a bunch of insane fucking ideas, and going right. You believe you, you, you're with me, right? You're with me. And you go, oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, and I think I briefly spoke with you about it, but the, and I shared the, I think the video with you, and we'll we'll put it in the, the notes for this episode. But it was the best example of facts versus personal anecdotes and he started i discovered him by the way i did not notice he was in big brother uk big brother that's where his fame Mm. and i'm putting this in big fat inverted commas started he was kicked out of big brother for beating a woman yeah yeah. because that's so that's how he was made famous again famous in big fat fucking inverted commas um then he became i think a kickboxer or some shit like that um and he became famous again in big fat inverted commas for being basically the the your, your beacon of toxic masculinity and he's been riding that coattail since um he started he came back on the scene via twitch which is weird because he came on at more or less the same time that I started using the platform more and more. And I started seeing him pop up on on people's um, feeds. And he was exactly doing that. He didn't have, he has no presence on Twitch, but was jumping on people who have two, three, four million followers. And he was creating that confirmation bias of trust me, I've got personal experience of this, right? You're with me, right? And it's so much easier, by the way, to say, oh, absolutely with you versus absolutely not. I start because that's a really fucking hard conversation to
0: very hard very hard
1: conversation um but his his whole stand was the thing that he went on a rampage which is sh- insane it's so stupid but was like women are just fucking terrible drivers i'd never let a woman drive they're just the absolute fucking worst they're the worst like um, and this there's, there's data to back this up and all my personal experiences back this up and my personal experience is so fucking important so hassan piker who is someone that i've mentioned here a couple of times who is a political pundit on Twitch, um, did this thing where he came on someone else's Twitch and they had kind of a debate and Andrew Tate was doing his usual, "Eh, bring him on if he wants to fight me, let's fucking go. And you're just like, oh my God, where's this going? But the best moment was, and he tried to do this, he tried... Hasan tried to do the hey we need to listen to facts sometimes because what we're talking about that illusion of explanatory depth that there's some people who actually we need to trust because they know more about a topic than we do and the way he was coming about this which I yeah. was fucking genius he's like okay 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 I hear you. you've you got personal experiences and all your experiences of driving with women have ended up badly so clearly your personal experience he's like but can you understand that some people's experience might have a different yeah but no he's like no but like how is it I've had 10 experiences with women and they're all bad drivers he's like okay, let me take a different approach the earth is round right and you could see what Andrew Tate was just like not understanding where this is going the guy's like yeah okay but your personal experience of the earth right now is that it's probably flat I mean you don't wake up thinking you know that you don't walk around thinking oh obviously the earth is round you walk around going well this the earth must be flat and he was like no and he's like, okay, so how did you discover that the earth was round? Like, did you have personal experience of this? And he's yeah, like, and, and Hassan was like, well, did you get in a fucking rocket ship, go to the moon and peek, peek down and saw that he was like, yeah, yeah. And you could see that this is where he started getting caught in his own thing, right? he's just like, you're a fucking idiot, whatever. But it was a perfect example of, no, no, we trusted people who went to the moon for us and came back and told us, hey, guess what? <laughs> The earth's fucking round, let's believe it. And so it was a perfect perfect example of, yes, in some cases, personal anecdotes are powerful and they're important, but we have to mix this up with facts and trust the people who know more than us because we have this illusion of explanatory depth that we just don't. And it was the perfect example of this happening right in front of me, which is I was just like, oh my God, this is fucking genius. Obviously, it was so, so good. good. And obviously, it, this is what was crazy to me is people still were just like, Oh, Hassan's a fucking dick. He's just trying to humiliate people. And you're like, but why is that the bad thing? Why are we now angry at the guy who's just proven something factually accurate and he's now the bully? But the person who's spewing absolute nonsense becomes the person that we need to protect. And again, it's because he had created that confirmation bias.
0: Shared, yep. Well, and the shared, like he, they, when someone like me is being attacked, it's that. It's like, that could be me up there. I believe what Andrew's saying, so I must come to his defense. And we, and I think you're right, this is a fact, I love that you brought up Andrew Tate,
1: social because then my next question, and I feel like you're, you're the only person I can actually have this type of conversation with, which is, how do you go about pinpointing that this person is toxic? And spewing, and I think on TikTok, for example, there were like 12 billion views of that guy, Andrew Tate's name. 12 billion in two months. Like that's a fucking insane number. How do you shine a light on the fact that he is dangerous? Like he is spewing a dangerous rhetoric without platforming that person. Without giving him a bigger pedestal which essentially is what he did very cleverly with all of these people with big social platforms. He just went on Joe Rogan's podcast and he went on your favorite guy. Um, he went on Tucker Carlson. Tucker? And then Tucky? he used all of these Twitch streamers <laughs> who don't fucking know any better. And who are just like, great, this is, he's the hot topic. He's going to get me more millions of views. Let's fucking go. How, but there were clearly some people like, we have to fucking talk about this guy. But how do you do that? And I bring back to our time in politics how do you shine a light on the extreme right? Or if you don't believe in the extreme, how do you shine a light on the extreme left without actually platforming them, without giving them a bigger voice? And I'm stuck at that, Zorch.
0: I think it, to me, it's, it's actually worse to not. Because if there, yeah, like if there isn't a, if there isn't a, and I will use the word intentionally, a facilitated dialogue, about things that are taking place then we will live in a world where people who are doing bad things are doing it behind closed doors and it's not being talked about right it's like we're oblivious to it i'll i'll correlate it with my lived experience of like irish catholic family you don't talk about things that happen with your family it could be the worst shit in the world but you don't talk about it outside of your family And that like mindset led to a lot of what we saw in Ireland with higher suicide rates, this like fear and shame. And that on a global scale, when we're talking about people who are actually breaking the law or inciting a violence is so dangerous to be shut down and ignored. But I do not think the world that we live in right now, where it's like, well, my voice is accepted by Fox News, so I'm only going to go on to Fox News. Like that that to me is is actually just as bad as not talking about it. But there isn't like a perfect place where you can go and have these conversations without it to your point, at like giving them more of a platform right right in this moment. But I do think that you have to talk about it. So that it's not, like, the 12-year-old who gets on Twitch and sees Andrew Tate for the first time and thinks he's gospel because he's able to Google it and see that there have been 75 other conversations about what he is doing is bad. Like, I think having both sides is really important for, especially, for kids.
1: Which is a beautiful tie that wraps us back to the beginning of when, and to the end of last week's episode of why I think I'm still, like, angry... And, I've, and I think I said it at the end of last week's episode of why Hillary Clinton was such a bad candidate, because, yes, we know you know your th- stuff, but you need to have that emotional rah-rah point of view as well. And God almighty, do I have this, this attention that we all have of just like, what does that middle ground feel like where we know what you need mm. to do, but also you've got to fucking play the game. And I have this as someone who creates content on on the internet all the time. I, I fucking hate videos that start with, oh my God, I'm gonna give you the best secret today. Stay tuned, like stick with me. And it's 20 seconds go by and they still haven't shared anything because they know that retention rate on TikTok, for example, is really important. So they need you to stay engaged for at least half of the video for those views to go up. Whereas I'm someone who looks at this and goes, I don't wanna waste any people's time. So within the first two seconds, I'm already giving you information. But that means that most people's tune in get two free bits of information. like, Oh, that's good enough and then they swipe up which means that my retention rate is not great and i and my and my husband always talks to me is like you've got to do things that are more polarizing you've got to start your video with oh my fucking god i hate what was said today and here's why i fundamentally fucking disagree and i'm not a polarizing person i'm just like factually here's what i find really interesting but i'm my views are never going to get higher if i stay super factual and try and, you know, bridge that middle ground. So it's fascinating. And I keep coming back to that. Like, what would it have looked like if we had someone like Hillary who knows her fucking shit, but when she's asked the question of how are you going to solve healthcare in this country? You don't go on a four-page lecture of these are the bullet points, but you do more what Bernie Sanders did, which is, oh, I can absolutely solve it. Absolutely, absolutely. Which again, it's equally puking, but I keep coming back to, is
0: there a middle ground? There should be a middle ground. And the middle ground, I think to midway through this episode you're talking when you were sharing about like the need for knowledge we'll call it right like education if people don't have a level playing field of what they're being taught and how they're learning and what they're actually absorbing and understanding then we're not going to be able to live in a world where there's a Hillary Clinton who'll give you a seven-page essay and there's a Bernie Sanders who'll fucking talk shit, but we'll get, like, rah, sorry, we'll get rah-rah, right, behind his idea without there actually being a 17-page f- a- essay about how it's going to be done. And we need both types of people. We Like, we can't function. And we need trust. Deeply. When I was listening to you,
1: brought me back to... This is how we ended up last year with not trusting the CDC because we fought, again, that illusion of explanatory depth. We thought we understood more than we did. We thought we understood healthcare oh, yeah. better than the CDC. We were just like, we got this. We know We know how COVID is spreading, which is fucking insane. And we, we listened to the likes of Joe Rogan who all of a sudden became a healthcare expert. And he brought in all of his people who all of a sudden thought they would become healthcare experts. And I know oh, yeah. it happened on both sides. But the reason I think that to your point as well is we need that education tie, we need that middle ground. But that's only going to happen if we have and trust. I think we
0: should come back to this next week. What are platforms' responsibilities <laughs> when it comes to the trust, right? Because they've all come, they've they've removed Andrew Tate, and now we've done it. We've come, we've removed Trump, and now we've done it. Spotify has removed Joe Rogan, and we've done it. Do we trust them to be the judge, juror, and executor of free speech? Like we need. To- do we trust them that they did the hard decision and not the easy? Exactly. We,
1: to, going back to your point, we kicked off Andrew Tape. Okay, but you slap that, you cut the head off of the mm-hmm. snake, but there's 20 more that grew. So what are you going to do about those? But they did. They took out the big name, just like they took out Trump. It makes it sound like they've been executed, but just like they've taken Trump off the platform, they took up. They, t- they took their voice. Yeah? They took their voice. From the audience of millions. Oh, I like that. That's a really good tie, Sosh. Yeah, let's talk about that next week. But, like, we have to. Because, to your point, that's fundamental in our trust in
0: society these days. That's it. It's, I, I don't know when it was, probably in one of our many FaceTimes where you shared around, like, Wi Fi, access to internet is, it is. is core. Cool. It's the same as having clean water. That's how we live our
1: lives. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Okay, let's dig into that next week here for it (laughs) that's the end of this episode thank you for listening and if you do feel inclined to do so please give us a review this is absolutely what will help us grow thank you